Welcome to another episode of Blue Topsy. I'm here with my good friend and co-host and partner in justice. I won't say crime. Uh, Eric Cohen. Say what's up to the people. Hey, everybody. How's the family doing, man? Everything's well. The kids are back in school because if uh, people don't know where we are, it was a vacation week last week. Yeah, vacation was great. And the crazy thing about vacation, I had the honor and the privilege to take my kids to Disney World and do you know that we ended up bumping into three or four families from Forsyth County? That's funny because I was talking to a friend yesterday and she was down in Jamaica and she said that she bumped into multiple friends of hers. Who are we talking about? Latricia? That's right. Yeah, shout out to Latricia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she was in Jamaica. She bumped into a high school friend. I was in Orlando, Florida. Had a chance to take the kids to Disney World. Had a chance to put my feet in the beautiful sand of Clearwater, Florida. And I uh, went to Pier 60, spent a lot of money, man, but, you know, it's, uh, I'm not complaining. You know, having, having a good time and, and creating those kind of memories uh, is, is what breaks are supposed to be about. But my feet hurt because Disney is huge. Uh, yeah, it is. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to just take that L, chalk it up. But had a good opportunity to come back to Georgia, watch some Georgia football, uh, watched college football all day Saturday, had a good time, man, and had a much needed break, cut my cell phone off for two of the six days I was on vacation, which was pretty crazy for me. You know, it's true because I had minimal texting and emailing from Daniel, which is good because he's supposed <laughs> to decompress. And as somebody who lived in Orlando, I can tell you that going to Disney will make you end up broke and tired, just like you said. Yeah, in the same time, mm-hmm. right? Well, today, uh, beyond all of the... Uh, great and fun things we had. We have been so fortunate to have uh, Josh McCall was on our show last week. Um, we talked about voting. We've talked to the incomparable Sarah Riggs Amico. Uh, Jason Carter gave us an amazing platform to launch our show. And in the midst of wanting to bring another candidate in here today or another thought leader, uh, Jason and I, uh, J- Jason, uh, I'm sorry, Eric and I, uh, Jason Carter obviously reached out to me about a week ago to make sure everything was going well on our end. And Eric and I just sat down and talked to ourselves and said that we really need to have a serious discussion, Uh, a discussion that um, kind of took precedent over my vacation. While I was out of town, uh, it's hard to be away from the news. And uh, we we are going to talk today about the Kavanaugh case, uh, the Kavanaugh hearing, um, and the testimony from Professor Ford, but before we even do that, you know, I want to kind of lead off the conversation, Eric, by letting our wonderful listeners and subscribers know that uh, today's show is going to be a, a, a male perspective, taking ownership and responsibility of a very real problem in, in America, which is sexual violence and sexual assault. Uh, we are both the father of sons. That's um, we, we are both... Um, husbands that want our wives to be treated respectfully and honorably. And, um, you know, if you want to chime in, I I just want to let people know that we want to spend today talking about the problem, but also how we can fix it and how the Kavanaugh case is playing a role in how we look at sexual violence and sexual assault in the United States. So, you know, we don't even have to go right now to even assault. I want to go back a step. And this is a personal story. Yeah. Whereas my wife, just a couple months ago, she dealt with sexual harassment at her workplace. Yeah. And you go, it's 2018. How does this nonsense still occur? Yet there she was, 
being put in an uncomfortable situation, a you know, compromising situation, and where she told me it was just tunnel vision. How do I get out of this situation now? I cannot believe I'm sitting here at work and I'm having to put up with this. You know, for everybody that's out there to, you know, there's so many aspects of gender equality and rights for women that we can discuss. But for the sake of time, uh, one in three women are victims of domestic violence globally. Um, But as it relates to sexual assault in the United States, every 98 seconds an American is sexually assaulted. Every eight minutes that victim happens to be a child and six out of every 1,000 perpetrators end up in prison. And uh, when you when you think about that number, six out of every 1,000 people that conduct these crimes and these assaults against women and, and vulnerable people, especially children, and men in some points for that case, sure. um, it speaks to the issue of why this is a huge problem that we've had to deal with. And I want to just kind of talk really quickly to, to give people an, an idea of some of these issues that we've, we've dealt with. But before I go in there, why don't you update us on some of the things that came out of the Kavanaugh trial? Um, I think it'd be good. Well, the Kavanaugh hearing. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be good for us to touch on some of those things because what I would really like to do today is let people know historically uh, some of the legislation that was passed. But I want to I want to dig deeper, but I don't want to miss the low hanging fruit, which is the new FBI investigation. While I don't always agree with uh, Jeff Flake, Senator Flake, uh, who has voted uh, almost 90 percent of the time, 87 percent, 87 percent of the time with Donald Trump. But, you know, what he did this past week took a lot of courage. Uh, I I don't care if Lindsey Graham would have done it. I'm not a fan of Lindsey Graham. But for anyone to step up and to say they need to address this issue, I think is worth hearing. I think those two courageous women that were in the elevator, Mm -hmm. uh, they they touched his conscience. Because a lot of time when legislation is passed or when hearings are made, uh, people make them by what's written, what's on paper, and what statistically is the chances of that being correct. So it turned into a he or she said versus thing of a he versus she said thing. And what Jeff Flake did, uh, in my opinion, was showed that he had the fortitude to go beyond his party and right. to stand up for the principle, which is women and especially sexual assault victims have the right to be heard and in an investigation to make sure that the people we put um, on the highest court and those who we elect and those who are appointed to other areas are vetted in a way that they are not compromised or compromising when they are overseeing cases similar to what we're hearing at right now. So why don't you fill us in a little bit on, on where we are? So the Kavanaugh hearing was interesting for a lot of reasons. First of all, you had uh, Dr. Ford who even the Republicans deemed to be incredibly you know, poised and credible. She went out there and recounted what, what happened to her. And they went to this recess, and, uh, recess rather, and even on Fox News, they were chiming in that it was devastating for the GOP. And then Kavanaugh came out and gave his testimony. And we have the full transcript of his testimony. And I think it's really important to go through it because he did something that nobody's ever done. As a Supreme Court nominee, he went in front of the committee and turned it into a political circus as the nominee. Uh, as a Supreme Court nominee, you're supposed to be impartial. Or at least, look, we know Sotomayor, 
Ginsburg, so forth, they're on the left. We know that Roberts and Alito are, are on the right. We understand that. But you have to keep politics out of it. That's right. And he did something that's never been done before. And if you take the account for what happened out of it, so let's just say, for put aside for a moment the accusations. His testimony or his rebuttal in that hearing alone disqualifies him from being a Supreme Court justice because he is now politicized. How can anything go before the court, you know, whether it's about a liberal group, you know, some type of issue, or the Clintons as he's brought them up? How can he be unbiased? He shows he has a clear bias. And he does have a political background. I don't know if a lot of people know that. His wife, she was the secretary for George W. Bush in Texas and then moved on to the you know, W. White House. And that's where, where they met was, you know, in the Bush White House. And by the way, there's a lot uh, in the initial investigation that was not released. Uh, several hours of Kavanaugh's uh, tenure there right. not being uh, made public, which a lot of Democrats felt was an issue within itself. There's almost 50,000 pages or so that were dumped basically on a Friday night and a Saturday for them not to be able to review it. So it also makes you wonder... What is the need? Why are they so desperate to force this guy in the court? I mean, the Heritage Foundation and, and these conservative groups have said, hey, he's as good as 25 other people on, on a list that we have. We don't particularly need him because they're essentially, they all believe the same way that they want. So this is a lot of political gamemanship. But what I want to do is now go through some of, some of what Kavanaugh was saying in the hearing because it's incredibly vital for people to, to really kind of break it apart. And realize that he, you know, he's right now on a court. You know, he's in the circuit court in Washington, D.C., if I'm correct. That's correct. That is the basically the stepping stone to the Supreme Court. And this guy is currently there, and he knowingly just lied. And you could go through so many things. So, at the beginning, I, I, um, if the visual, I think most everybody's seen what went on. You know, he was um, very thirsty, apparently. He needed water a lot. And, you know, he was just constantly filling up his cup. He was angry, moving his hands and so forth. So within just a few moments uh, of him speaking, he did say how he wrote this uh, the prior evening and afternoon. Nobody had seen it except for one of his former law clerks. So he spoke about Miss Kaiser. Miss Kaiser was, uh, you know, the friend of Dr. Ford. And she said that she didn't recall such an event. And... And then the attorney's letter said, simply put, Ms. Kaiser does not know Mr. Kavanaugh and she has no recollection, rec recollection of ever being at the party or gathering. Well, after the fact, once again, it was said that that was taken out of context and that Ms. Kaiser completely believed Ms. Ford in her accusations. So, well, let me ask you a question. I know, yeah. I know we're going into that, but... Why do you think the culture of, you know, a, a, a assault victim having to justify, you know, when we see and hear these types of things, the first thing is, well, you've waited so long, right? What, what, why wouldn't you have said something earlier? What, what, in your opinion, is the reason or one of the reasons why we're seeing an attack and women especially being re-victimized that are right. trying to come forth and talk about their assaults? So when this incident happened with my wife a little while ago, she and I tell each other everything. We know everything. And this is something that had kind of gone on 
over a couple weeks and it was you know it didn't seem like much anything then she put the pieces of the puzzle together as this guy then said all this inappropriate stuff and things went through hr and everything at her company and then she came home and told me what had gone on and the point there is she had like i said before that tunnel vision you know just this blocking everything out all this stuff was going on and even though we tell everybody one another everything in that moment it was it was shameful to her it's as if she did something yeah and so even with us who tell one another everything like that moment there was a delay and that is never how things are in a relationship so to me on a personal level that kind of encapsulates what goes on with most women it essentially it's they're shamed they're the victim yet our society makes it seem to them as though oh you've done something wrong or it's too embarrassing or if i go and say something nobody's going to believe it when ford gave her testimony one of the first things she said her fear was and remember she contacted um her elected official in california before kavanaugh was even nominated to the bench her one fear was she would come out and say something her name would be out there and it would be for nothing. He would still get on the bench or at that time be nominated to the bench. And it would almost be like, again, she's re-victimized. And, you know, I think it's even harder when we look at uh, October 91, Anita Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, before Harvey Weinstein, before Roger Ailes, before Me Too, there was yep. Anita Hill. That's right. And I think for those who, who don't remember... Uh, not only did she have to testify before Clarence Thomas uh, for his uh, prior to his nomination hearing, uh, she was drugged through the dirt. She, she was. was harassed. Mm-hmm. She was demeaned. And to this day, she's still being contradicted and called a liar. I read something this week that is uh, of, of the utmost importance and I hope will help to steer our conversation mm-hmm. today, which simply says, dear boys and men. You shouldn't have to correlate girls and women with your daughters, wives, and mothers in order to care for and about them. Instead of, I have daughters, so this matters to me, try girls and women matter no matter what. And I think that's really what it comes down to. It's not the fact that, you know, I don't want this to happen to my daughter or I don't want this to happen to my niece. The reality of it is sexual violence happening shouldn't happen to anyone. And regardless mm-hmm. of who it happens to or how much person, how much power the individual has that is, you know, being accused of it, you know, and I'm going to be honest, you know, I, while I am, am more siding with uh, the, the testimony of, of, of Dr. Ford, um, you know, I think in the United States, one thing that we have in place is a criminal justice system. So I would never not want to give the accuser or the accused their opportunity. But we clearly saw both of them given that opportunity. And according to what I just said, I just want to run through really quickly, give a quick history lesson for folks. 1964, many of us that are students of history uh, know the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was uh, was passed, which basically prohibited the employment discrimination based on race, color, sex, religion, or national origin. Um, The thing about it was the original intent of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was to protect women in the workplace. And I think for the most part, it remains somewhat of an emphasis today. Then we go to 1972, uh, Title IX of the Education Amendments were issued. Uh, This was what prohibited sex discrimination in schools 
that receive federal funding. Mm-hmm. So we, we begin to see more policies, you know, even though it's a slow trickle, one per decade. We jump to 1980, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, which is commonly referred to, states that sexual harassment is a form of sex discrimination prohibited by, um, you know, the previous uh, legislation that had been put out. Um, and then you look at 1986, which was a trademark, uh, a landmark decision by the Supreme Court that rules that sexual harassment can be sex discrimination. Um, and also the case of, I believe it was Mirador Savings Bank versus Vincent ruled that the speech itself can create a hostile environment which violates the law. In other words, what you mentioned about your wife, yep. uh, sexual harassment for so long, people felt that there had to be uh, some form of physical contact, you right. know, and this actually landmark decision mm-hmm. made it where the speech and the uncomfortability That's that right. could be posed in the workplace. We go to 1991, prior to the Anita uh, Hill hearing, we see the Civil Rights Act of 1991 being passed where Congress modified previous legislation to add more protection against discrimination in the workplace. Um, among other things, the Civil Rights Act of 1991 showed or allowed harassment and discrimination plaintiffs the right to a jury trial in federal court. And I think it's ironic that it took till 1991 Mm -hmm. for sexual harassment victims to be given the right to a jury trial, which I think was really crazy. But it also gave plaintiffs the right to collect um, compensation and punitive damages for the first time subject to cap base size of the employer. In other words, they were able to go on and have civil cases. So two more years I want to talk about because 19... 90 was very interesting. The 90s were very interesting. After 91, we move on to 1994 with the Violence Against Women Act of 1994 being passed, which limited the acceptability of evidence of past sexual history of the plaintiff in sexual harassment cases and permitted such evidence against sexual harassers accused of assault, which gave women more power because we were able to see beyond their particular case and look into the history, which you see Harvey Weinstein and a lot of these cases that have come up. We just saw America's dad, Bill Cosby go down for, you know, sexual harassment. And while I won't, don't want to go too far in on Bill Cosby, um, you know, for me, I felt, you know, I felt torn and it's not that I, I felt to justify or to give the guy a break, but to have grown up seeing this guy on TV and to see him in this father figure, this protector figure, this figure that, you know, in many senses was idolized, right. especially in communities of color, mm-hmm. to see this guy um, ultimately, uh, you know, compromise the trust of so many of those of us that followed him and to see what happened uh, was really bittersweet. Uh, it, was, it was hard to hard to really swallow. So Bill Cosby, we have a, a relative who, who represented him in the 80s for a long time. Yeah. And the thing with Cosby is, it's just like Harvey Weinstein. They, they, in the industry, it was known what Bill Cosby was doing. That's what just, what gets me. And same with Weinstein. They knew this was going on. Yeah, it was it, accepted know, behavior. It, it was accepted behavior, even though it was criminal behavior. And one thing I, I do, I know we're getting off track a little, but one thing about Cosby, I know that some people say, well, look, he's an old man now. He's legally blind. And it's like, no, that, that's not a justification to let him off the hook for what he's done. There should be no statute of limitation that's on right. sexual crimes, on sexual violence, on violence against children, uh, on violence against our most vulnerable. I, I don't care if 
Um, and I mean this. I don't care if somebody right. is 98 years That's old. Right. If they have committed a crime, you know, we saw it with lynchings during the Jim Crow era yep. and people saying that the cases had been closed and new evidence comes up, but they're not being reopened. Um, so to get back on track, the last <laughs> one I'll mention is 1995, which I think uh, is very critical to our conversation today because that's when Congress passed the Government Accountability Act. Um, and this is what made Congress's own members subject to the same employment laws as the rest of the country. That's right. right. And to go further, sexual harassment takes on many forms we all know from psychological pressure to outright sexual assaults that right. happen uh, where it goes on for a long time. And it goes from, you know, verbal to physical to even beyond. And, you know, if you if, if, if a person was facing uh, what this basically said was that if a person is facing harassment at work, they could contact experienced employment attorneys to represent right. them. And I recently read something that said somewhere between 15 and $18 million in settlement money had been paid by congressional members. Yep. And I want to say this to everybody that's listening. It should not have taken uh, to 1991 to get the Civil Rights Act passed that allowed har harassment and discrimination plaintiffs the right to a jury trial. It should not have taken in 1995 for Congress to pass the Government Accountability Act that allows these members of Congress to fall under the same scrutiny. And it should not take until 2018 for a panel of men to uh, literally, uh, I believe, intimidate uh, a person that is a victim into a position where uh, not only is it, you know, in my opinion, unfair because of the process, mm -hmm. but we're talking about criminal behavior that potentially has been taken on. If Miss uh, Doctor Ford had not signed uh, the, uh, the 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 perjury form right. that you know made her statement, I could see people saying, "Well, hey, you know, um, let's politicize this." And I'm, again, I'm not justifying it, but it's very unfortunate that this lady has endured and her family has endured right. death threats, uh, physical harm to themselves, mm. bomb threats, and, and she is still being ridiculed. I heard someone on, on TV the other day um, say that, you know, these are things that boys do. And we've seen this culture right. persist for decades, mm -hmm. for years, for generations. But the thing that bothers me more is this stems from, and I have to say it, but I remember when... Uh, Melania Trump and some of the other folks that were Trump supporters, some of the women had said, well, it's locker room banter. It's boys talk. Yeah. And when we accept that kind of behavior as boys talk, whether it's a 17 year old forcing himself on a young woman or it's a, 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 a gentleman that's a private citizen, right. you know, having a conversation about how you treat a, a person's body. When we continue to accept that as normal behavior, we get in a normal uh, society with young men that are growing up thinking that these things are okay. And they know at the end of the day what they said is utter bullshit. It is. You know? Oh, you, that was the first one. You uh, broke the code, man. It took, how, many, what, how many episodes did we have? It took, it took four shows, uh, man. You, you, you broke it. Yeah, there uh, it goes. But don't get me going because, you know, <laughs> that, that, the audience after a while might go, no, no. Step back a little. You know, so let's go back to more of his testimony. Um, let, I want to get at the this part. And, of course, the overall theme of sexual harassment will, will obviously be with everything we say. But I want to go to the fact how Kavanaugh politicized this. Um, I'm going to read directly from the transcript. 
Since my nomination in July, there's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything to block my confirmation. Shortly after I was nominated, the Democratic Senate leader said he would oppose me with everything he's got. A Democratic senator on this committee publicly referred to me as evil. Evil, think about that word. And said that those who supported me were complicit in evil. Another one said, Judge Kavanaugh is your worst nightmare. Now, this is, of course, taken out of context. And obviously with his legal background, he knows what he's doing. They weren't referring to him as evil and complicit when it came to the sexual harassment allegations. This was the fact that essentially, you know, Kavanaugh represents essentially everything that those on the left do not believe in or are against. Why we go out and vote. We don't, for, it's, you know, we're not monolithic. We have people, of course, that are pro-life voters. But as, as a whole, we have, you know, a voting block that is pro-women, pro-choice, pro-unions, pro-capping big mon- money. Kavanaugh himself as uh, many of us know, he was part of the Ken the Star team investigating President Bill Clinton. And he basically says that the president should have a lot more power and there should be a limited amount of power to investigate them. So it's kind of interesting out of 25 people on the list that Donald Trump was handed, it seemed to me that the guy who basically says, hey, we can limit the scope of an investigation of a president seems to be the guy that he ended up with. And the thing that bothers me more than anything, and you touched on it, but the fact that the Brett Kavanaugh uh, hearing and Christine Blasey Ford um, created division, right? right. I mean, we, 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 we have seen time and time again uh, cultural issues turn to partisan mm-hmm. issues. Uh, there are some damn good Republicans out there, some great ones. I think Senator Flake uh, showed a lot of, uh, of guts, and I, I mentioned sure. it earlier. But the thing that really gets me is when you listen to Senator Cruz, when you listen to Senator Lindsey Graham and, and his tirade, I mean, when you see people politicizing it. True. Now, granted, there th- this goes on both sides. You know, the Democrats, there was obviously some issues and questions with how or what was leaked. And right. that, that is a concern because I think privacy matters. And I don't think anyone should be forced into a position of disclosing information that is sensitive to them or that can cause unwarranted attention. Right. But that being said, we saw an overwhelming majority of uh, our friends that I, w- I would like to think of them as fellow Americans mm-hmm. on the other side of the aisle that were talking about how the Democrats want to keep this in power. And I'm not even going to go into Merrick Garland right. and how he was held up and how that was yeah, posi- 400 po- po- days of nonsense. Yeah. yeah and that was mm-hmm. political posturing. Right. right. But in the same respect, man, I mean, this is this is a woman who was visibly shaken, mm-hmm. who opened up her statements by saying that she wished she hadn't had to be there. Right. But we're seeing this era, and I want to shift a little bit, shift gears a little bit in what you just brought up, and why is it in this country, whether it's race and justice or immigration, or as we are seeing now, and we have continued to see sexual harassment, that we are always trying to politicize it and make it the issue of the, 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 the political climate, whether it's a right. midterm or a general, it's almost like instead of just saying sexual harassment is a problem, sexual assault is wrong, we're saying the Democrats are using this as an issue right. to get past the midterms or, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous that we cannot have a conversation and a very solutions driven conversation. 
And the and, and one thing I'll say, I know you want to chime in, yep. but one thing that I'll say that bothers me most mm-hmm. is why is there a rush, right? It, right. It, and, and I heard a gentleman on CNN say this, uh, you know, and I listen to all forms of media, yep. but I heard a guy say, if you were going to hire a babysitter and there were three negative recommendations right. that said that that babysitter potentially was a child molester, would you stop and look at it? And I'm going to tell you honestly, as a parent, if I even thought there was an issue that of happens. trustworthiness, you're not coming in my house. No. So the fact that we're about to put somebody in the highest court in the land, forget the person being a swing vote. We're talking right. about someone that can oversee, and not just Roe versus Wade, but you know, employment discrimination, right. sexual harassment in the workplace, people that are going to be looking at these laws and these precedents that have been set, and we're saying we want someone with a questionable background to go through without further investigation. I, I don't care if this came about Merrick Garland. Right. I would want the same thing for mm-hmm. anyone that we're going to appoint to a lifetime position to be held under the same scrutiny. And then when we say that, they'll turn around and go, no, that's not the case. And, and and I know you you feel the same way as I do. Yeah. It, if this if if Kavanaugh was our nominee, so pretend the same background except he's the liberal nominee, I would be disgusted by that guy and go, when are they going to pull that nomination? And they haven't pulled it fast enough. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Um, when you're talking about essentially decorum, everything becomes a fight. So. I was listening to something last week that made a great point, and it was about global warming. And it was an interview that, uh, do you remember, you know, Richard Clark, who was the uh, national security advisor? I do, I do. So he was having an interview with Bill Clinton. And what they were discussing how was around the world, the environment, climate change, sea level rise, it's not a political issue. It is not a left, it's not a right. There is unanimous, you know, agreement across all lines that this is a crisis, that these things are going on and they're working on solutions. In this country, we're so dysfunctional now, we can't even look at facts and truth and go like, you know what? We have this crisis going on. Let's do something about it. Instead, we have people who are like, oh, the environment's political. How is that political? But that's what we're trapped in, this endless cycle. And you were bringing up about you know certain things that happened during the hearing. It's like, um, I know that we had uh, Senator Harris. There is a... There was a point where she was supposed to say, she, it, when she was there, like the roll call, she was supposed to go ahead and, and do this particular thing, and she refused to do it. I understand where that comes from, from her, that you know she's unhappy with this whole charade that's going on, but it doesn't make it right when our people also now are resorting to the same type of tactics of saying, well, you know what? I don't care what protocol is. I don't care what we're supposed to do. I'm pissed at them. This is wrong. So to hell with it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah, and I I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, statesmanship is a dying art, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, look, I I can I can name ten Republicans that I thoroughly disagree with. Uh, I could probably name twenty, but the reality is, I can also name ten or twenty Democrats that I don't feel uh, has had the political posture. Um, and quite frankly, the backbone that I think we need in this time. And it shows by a recent CNN poll, I mean, I'm sorry, but CBS poll um, that talked about partisanship. It said, and, and this is a poll done by CBS, but partisanship appears much more closely connected to overall views than does gender. And this is kind of where I want to go towards as, as we get on our, our last track and, and bring this to a close. But 
Amongst Republican women, 73% or 70% feel Kavanaugh should be confirmed, while 80% of Republican men do. Among Democratic women, 65% of Democratic women oppose Kavanaugh's nomination, and 73% of Democratic men oppose it. Now, granted, within the last week with what we've seen, we've seen those numbers go from about 38% nationally yeah. felt that Kavanaugh should be confirmed, um, and that number has dropped to about 28%. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, I think we've, we've got to speak to this issue, you know, and, and if it weren't Kavanaugh, if it were anyone else, the issue of looking at partisanship versus gender and how they feel about it. I mean, I know Donald Trump said and, said and did a lot of, of, of things um, during the campaign trail, but the reality of it is when Donald Trump was elected, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. Sure. And that number bothers me, not because it was white women. It bothers me more so because women felt right. that in the time and era of not just the accusations against Trump, let's not leave him out of the equation right. because there were a lot of accusations and there are still accusations yep. of sexual harassment. Um, but the reality is that we live in a time where we're so politically, um, you know, uh, distracted that rather than looking at what's right, when I see uh, evangelical preachers using biblical scripture to justify uh, Kavanaugh's nomination and his subsequent vote to the Supreme Court, it bothers me because we now are not just putting our institutions into question, but what what is what is our moral compass? What is our North Star? Because right now, if you look at elected officials, religious leaders, community leaders, uh, soccer moms. I mean, we're starting to see this mass confusion that is going out. Our children, uh, which people need to remember, are on the front lines. They're in front of the TVs. They're on social media. Mm. They're watching our responses. They're watching our behavior. And what are we teaching our children in this time of, I think, you know, America's crossroads of going towards you know, uh, being compassionate and morally relevant as a society. When we were watching the hearing the other day, what we kept reiterating to kids is this isn't normal. And we weren't just talking about Donald Trump breaking all the, the rules. We're talking about that hearing, the fact of how the Republican men, what they're doing. And by the way, we do need to circle back to one thing about the hearing. Let's do it. The fact of the matter is that these spineless 11 men of the Republican Party that were up there in what to me would be the ultimate condescending type of move, move decides, hey, we need to have a lady out there to ask questions to her because we can't. Because the truth of the matter is they knew that based on their track record, the amount of just disgusting things that they would say, if, if I don't know if people saw that during one of the breaks, Orrin Hatch, of course, opened his mouth, foot and mouth disease, you know, he starts saying essentially how oh, you know, she was a very attractive lady and whatever. And it's like, that's why they put her up there. But what was interesting was, of course, once, you know, Kavanaugh starts speaking, the, uh, the lady that they brought in from Arizona, no longer was she needed to question Kavanaugh and the Republican men decided that they were all in to help aid him. Um, you spoke about evangelicals. Right now, the polling shows that 48% of evangelical Christians say that even if the allegations, all or any of the allegations against Kavanaugh are true, they still want him on the Supreme Court. That is where you're like, we have a moral crisis. And it doesn't matter if you're religious, not religious, what color you are, anything. 
that is a crisis in this country. The fact that people who supposedly have such morality now, the, the whatever the ends justify the means. Like it doesn't matter what he's done. The bottom line is what he represents is what they want. So therefore it's okay. And at a certain point we have to go, that's the crumbling of society. Well, I want to I want to bring this to a close, uh, and and I I know within the week we're going to hear much more on this FBI investigation. Yes, Hopefully, the FBI uh, is able to to do their job um, without restraint. Yeah. Um, but I want to close out because you have three sons, um, mm-hmm. I have three sons, and I believe in in, in the Me Too era or. Mm-hmm. In this era of you know uh, standing up for women and being against sexual harassment, which we should always be against sexual harassment, um, I had the privilege of serving with the uh, uh, the White House initiative. It's on us mm-hmm. with Vice President yep. Biden and, and President Barack Obama, and uh, it, it it taught me a lot because uh, the It's on Us campaign, for those of you that don't know, was a White House initiative created to address and end sexual violence on college campuses. But the stories that we would hear uh, resonated with me. And mm-hmm. what it did for me is made it very uh, relevant and very urgent for me to have a conversation with my sons. Um, at the time of the Obama administration, my children, uh, before he left office, were 12, uh, 9, and 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're now 14, 11, and 7. and. The reason why I bring that up is because I believe it is inherently uh, on the shoulders of men in the United States and around the world to speak to their young men, Um, not to be good boys, but to be good guys, to to be young men that respect the bodies and the voices and the privacy Mm -hmm. of other people. I believe it is incumbent upon us, uh, whether it is in the music that our children listen to or in the shows that we allow them to watch. Uh, I was watching something the other day, and a guy was, you know, had a couple of drinks. We were watching the show, mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he kept on in, in a really playful way, uh, forcing himself onto a woman to try and get a kiss on the cheek. Uh-huh. And I paused it, and I, I told my son right there, I, I didn't want to give him the answer. I didn't want to say, that. that's wrong, right. right? Because I think that's the wrong way to teach right. them. I immediately went to my son and said, what do you think about that? And my son said, I don't think that's right. And I said, why don't you think that's right? You know, we've got to engage our children. And I've said this quote on the show before, but Frederick Douglass once said, it's better to build strong children than repair broken men. If we're not building up our children right now Mm -hmm. to be the best them and to respect people regardless of their gender, of their race, of their socioeconomic status, we're not doing a good job. And I think that you know, it's easy for a person like me to say, well, I've raised great kids, you know, look at that. They see how I treat their mom and this, that, and the third. But, you know, we're not in the conversations our kids are having at school. Right. We're not in, we're not on the social media post. Uh, I was, I was on Instagram the other day looking at my son's uh, social media account. And even though he primarily uses it for his friends, there were images of women all over Instagram that I had to now, you know, pause and screen and say, Hey, 
you know what? We might need to rethink you being on this right. platform because I don't want you to think those images are okay. Right. I don't want you to think, you know, that, you know, uh, being in a society where people at some points use naked women to sell hamburgers or right. use the, the image of women or, you know, in the 80s with a lot of the shows that came out when they were literally justifying uh, sexual assault. Uh, on film and we've got to use this moment and other moments as teachable moments for our children I, I completely agree uh, I, I think the, the best takeaway really is what you said was it's I, I find it to be the most valuable when when my wife and I see something that's not correct is to pause just like you're saying and, and ask them what what do you think about that Engaging them and making them critically think into it makes them understand it more. And you know, just like you're saying, you know, if you're talking about the hamburgers and stuff, like I won't even say the company that did that in a weird way. And I guess this could be a future show. I think it's a really good topic. We've actually seen over the past two decades, we've seen a over sexualization of things. That's right, a re sexualization. We thought that like. Once we got through the 80s and started getting the early 90s, it looked like, hey, you know what? Women weren't going to be used to hawk food. That nonsense was over. And it slowly has crept up. You know, look at hip hop. I mean, we've gone through a lot of years where it's just, some of it's just so grotesque. You're sitting here going, that's what the main thing is that people are consuming now, kids are consuming. And when we listen to the hearing, one thing that I was thinking about, no matter what, I appreciated and wanted the kids to watch it because it's of the utmost importance. But then I'm sitting here going, I can't believe the crazy shit they're having to listen to. I mean, this is what we've devolved into. I mean, it's problematic. It's not only problematic, but, you know, I gave... I had a chance last year to participate in something called the Manologues, okay. and it was men that talked about sexual harassment through poetry and through various forms of expression. And I had to read a manologue called I Woke Up Next to a Rape Survivor, and I had to memorize it. And it touched me because I never thought about you know being the partner or the spouse or the mm -hmm. boyfriend of a victim of sexual violence. Right. Um, I have to confess on this show today that I have a goddaughter that was a victim of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And she uh, met a young man that she was very fond of. And unfortunately, through manipulation and through uh, some coercion by an older gentleman, the young man's father, uh, she was abducted. Uh, she was uh, sexually abused for four years. And she was missing. And it made me understand the importance of uh, being a man at the forefront of this issue uh, because at the end of the day uh, the violence against women you know most women that are victims of domestic violence or sexual violence uh, it happens from a partner mm -hmm. or from someone that they are fond of that they closely right. know uh, and regardless of who is doing it uh, we've got to change the culture right. that what a woman wears invites assault how she acts, talks, or thinks invites harassment, or the status of her 
being willing to engage in any kind of act, whether it's sexual or romantic, is okay after a no. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 I tell my kids all the time, when someone says stop, you stop. Mm-hmm. When someone says no, it's no. Right. You don't touch someone or, or, or uh, say things that make people uncomfortable mm-hmm. that you don't understand um, come with repercussions. And I teach my children this because there will come a day where my children will be in high school, they'll be in college, they'll be dating. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want my children's excuse to be, I didn't know. I don't ever want my kid to date someone's daughter and violate the trust of our family or of the young lady's family by doing something or engaging in a behavior that will question my parenting right and it's not uh, it's not to say that i don't want my kid to do that because i don't want to embarrass my family i don't want my kid to do it because it's not right Right. plain and simple Mm -hmm. and i hope that this conversation uh even though it's a little bit different than what we've talked about is something that will uh help to propel us in this movement here are some things you can do uh one vote you might say what does voting have to do with any of the conversation we had today. I just gave you a brief history from 1964 to 1995 about voting policies and legislation that has passed, and we need more. We need 10 times more to protect women in the workplace, to help with, uh, with the gender pay gap, to make sure that women that work in Silicon Valley on Wall Street or in the hospitality mm-hmm. business, because when the Me Too movement went on, it was very Hollywood-centric. Right. But for the, for the poor women that work uh, and, and I don't mean poor in a negative connotation, but for the struggling, right. socially distressed women that are working in the hotel industry and working in the service industry that are victims of this every mm-hmm. day, we are not going to leave them out of the, of the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they are uh, speaking up and speaking out or their voices are being uh, you know, clouded out by all the national things that are going mm-hmm. on, you know, that's not going to be happening on our, on our watch. Number two, outside of voting, I think each and every one of these people should call their states, I mean, their U.S. senators. Um, I will personally, I, I, there was an article that came out recently about David Perdue and Johnny Isaacson yeah. and about how they both are thinking differently. David Perdue obviously saying regardless of the FBI right. probe, he's voting for Kavanaugh. Johnny Isaacson being a little more uh, conscious of the seriousness right. of what's going on. So I would encourage everyone to call their United States Senator, to call their uh, their congressional delegation, and to do everything they can in the next seven days to make sure that they are making sure that their representation is keeping a watchful eye over the FBI investigation that is going on with Judge Kavanaugh into the allegations made by Dr. Ford and the other women that were mentioned. And then lastly, let's make it it our responsibility for those of us who have a platform. Whether you are a CEO, an office manager, uh, uh, a parent, a spouse, Let's talk to our families, our coworkers, our friends, and our neighbors. It's not enough to see what uh, Kavanaugh said and, and, and go on social media and say, well, you know, I just don't believe this guy and he sucks and put up an angry face. That's not going to change the culture. The culture doesn't change in a tweet. It doesn't change in a Facebook post. It doesn't change with what you said, what you call latte liberals. That's right. It doesn't change in the coffee shop complaining at a Starbucks. It changes action. when we add action right. to our frustration, to our anger, and to the egregious things that are happening to women, 
all over this country and all over the world, regardless of their wealth, their social economic status, their race, all of those things are important, but it shouldn't happen to anyone. You know, and I know probably everybody's been in this situation, and it doesn't matter what it is. You've seen something that's wrong. You know it's wrong. You can see something's happened to somebody, and you sit there, you, you make that decision. You go, you know what? I should go say something to somebody because I just witnessed that. And then there's the other half where it's like, no, I should just stay out of it. It's not in my business. And I think now all this should kind of kickstart people into going, you know what? Now's the time. If you see something, you know your job. Your job is to say something to somebody about it because lots of victims, because of being victims, aren't saying something and we have to essentially help them. We need to be the ones a lot of times to say, you know what? Go to whatever. Say it's your workplace. Even if like an example of like an HR. It's like, hey, I just saw something happen to, you know, so-and-so over there. And I don't know if this has been reported, but it was, you know, disturbing, whatever. I need to let you know about it. And I think those are the little things that everyday people can do besides, just as you said, like Daniel and I always talk about latte liberals, and that's essentially your keyboard warriors. You sit there and you you love whatever cause, but when push comes to shove, you've made yourself feel good about it. But at the end of the day, you're not actually doing something to try to improve things or make a difference in the real world. And I think that's what we're trying to convey to people. There are things that you can do. And I do want to segue this into our upcoming guests because, as you said, voting is really important. That's right. Our next guest is going to be Carolyn Bordeaux. Carolyn is running for the U.S. House. That's uh, District 7 here in Georgia. And Carolyn is beyond passionate about women's issues. And Carolyn is the type of person that we need to send to Washington because she is there. Her That is one of her core things, women protecting the innocent you know, children and so forth. But about Carolyn, we do have a new segment that's coming up with our next show. We're going to be doing a Q&A with Carolyn and we're looking for questions that you guys might have for her. So we ask you guys to tweet us, to send us emails and everything. And of course, just to go through it again, it's at Blue Topsy, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and B-L-U-T-O-P-S-Y, Blue Topsy, also bluetopsy.com. So, you know, we do want to hear from you guys about Carolyn, uh, questions that you have, and of course, any feedback that you have for our show. And I want to close out this show, which was a very serious topic, by um, giving a resource. If you are a a man, a woman, or a child out there that has experienced sexual assault, uh, find someone you trust. And we'd love here at Blue Topsy, if you want to reach out to us confidentially, Eric has given you our information. Uh, find someone you can confide in. Um, we would encourage you to not be silent, to speak up and to speak out and to know that there are people that will stand with you. Um, there is a national sexual assault hotline, which is 1-800-656-HOPE. Uh, that is 1-800-656-4673. And I also want to let people know that reporting sexual uh, assault Um, and reporting sexual violence uh, is something that is extremely important. Um, Whether you need to call your local authorities or you need to uh, call and and find an advocate or or an organization, there are many resources out there. I would encourage you to take the time. Uh, We have your back here at Blue Topsy. Uh, we We are spouses. We are parents. 
But more than that, uh, we are neighbors and community members and we're Americans. And whether you are uh, here or anywhere else, if you're listening to this show, we're with you. And if we can do anything to support you, please reach out to us directly and let us know how we can help. We'll see you next week. Thank you, guys.